idea what you're listening to? London Philharmonic? It's Venus. Uh-huh. Venus. Why not? We've bounced signals off the moon's surface. There's no reason that Venus shouldn't radiate impulses. I don't mean the static. Can't you hear it, the other thing? What other thing? Listen to it, Paul. Listen to the voice. Hello and welcome to Media Geek. This is your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media, as well as a critical examination of our media environment. My name is Paul Rusmanel, and I'm your host. Today, the penultimate edition of Media Geek. We'll be taking a look back at building mini-FM transmitters in Minneapolis and a documentary about pirate radio in Tucson. You do want to stay tuned. So if you have been tuned into the Media Geek radio show any time in the last month, you should be aware that we are beginning to wind down and about to end the program as we come to the end of 2009. Uh, So over the last four shows or so, I've been taking a look back at some of my favorite segments and interviews uh, from the last seven years of the program, which uh, got started back in March of 2002. And uh, tonight we're going to take a look back at 2004, two segments that actually aired uh, week to week beginning uh, November the uh, 5th of 2004 and November the 12th of 2004. And uh, back in uh, at the end of September 2004, I was able to attend a really great conference and art event that uh, happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was uh, uh, sponsored by the Minneapolis College of Art and Design and uh, the Walker Art Center that... Uh, looked at radio as an art form, as a medium, uh, as a form of resistance, and uh, encouraged people to come and build their own transmitters and did uh, transmitter art installations. So I'll now go to that segment that uh, first aired November 4th, 2004. So September 29th and 30th was a conference called Radio Access Democracy held at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design and sponsored by the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it was the culmination to a several-month-long project called Radio Revolt, wherein the uh, art center uh, encouraged people to come in and build little low-wattage transmitters and to put them into into various objects as art, but also to use them to play art, to create art uh, through radio. It was a really cool conference, and during, uh, during that, uh, one of the highlights for me was uh, to see Tetsuo Kogawa, who is the real spiritual forefather of the micropower FM movement in the United States. He's a Japanese scholar of communications at uh, Tokyo University, and he started a movement in Japan during the 1970s called Mini-FM. And it was because he discovered in Japan that radio regulations did not cover stations that broadcast below a certain power threshold. And 
And in Japan during the 1970s, uh, the airwaves are completely dominated by government broadcasters. There's very little diversity on the FM dial, very few stations to choose from, and he saw an opportunity to bring more community voices. He also hoped it would help to reinvigorate the student movements, which had been vigorous in the 1960s and early 70s as they had been around much of the world, but had been uh, really in decline during the late 70s, partially due to uh, government efforts of suppression. And he hoped also to use radio as a technology to bring people together to put on radio parties, radio picnics, and other things. And he thought by using low wattage transmitters, it, it forced it to be a very local phenomenon, to be around you know, very small amounts of area and might even draw people to the transmitter itself. And so he gave the keynote talk and uh, went over a lot of this history. And then on Saturday, they had the uh, final a workshop for building transmitters and I was able to talk to some of the people who are building transmitters and that evening there was a performance called Radio 4x4 where four uh, collage and sort of ambient noise artists came together to perform and they performed into low wattage transmitters and so instead of hearing them perform out of out of speakers you heard them perform out of radios which are placed all around a large room so as you walked around the room you got a sort of a different mix and different perspective on the sounds they were making and that's sort of an, some indication of the uh, of the type of uh, artistic uh, use to radio that the uh, Walker Art Center wanted to pursue. And I also, I spoke along with uh, John Anderson of DIYmedia.net on two panels about what was going on at the FCC regarding radio regulation and also a, a larger panel on, on how to make DIY and alternative media. What we're going to hear right now is some interviews with people who are making uh, transmitters themselves and putting them into various objects uh, interspersed with some of the audio from the Radio 4x4 performance. So we can go to that audio right now. Cameron and I am from Northfield, Minnesota, Carlson College, mm -hmm. and uh, I am the station manager of KRLX 88.1 FM there. But you're also building your own low-power transmitter. Yes, um, I can see how some people may see that as somehow a, a conflict of interest. Um, I am putting my transmitter in an iPod, uh, pack iPod packaging. And the reason for that is because sort of the central irony that we're encountering now in the digital age is 
on-demand, instant-on access to uh, one information, music, what have you. Uh, essentially, the irony behind it is that radio is the antithesis of the iPod, I feel, and that it is delivered as opposed to on-demand. Mm -hmm. However, an iPod cannot deliver the same content that you can get from an independent media source or independent radio, whatever it may be. So what are you going to broadcast? I haven't quite decided that yet. Um, I may rebroadcast uh, indie media radio sources off the internet. Um, either that or I'm also a DJ. I may broadcast uh, my own mixes. Um, but the exact purpose is yet to be determined. God is not just some floating spirit going through space and anybody can sort of plug in and... My transmitter is a hard-won enterprise because I had to battle my wife this morning for her very favorite old cigar box. She keeps jewelry in it, and I unceremoniously dumped the jewelry into a white uh, kitchen bowl and took off with her box. So I have an absolutely beautiful kind of uh, uh, box here. And why a cigar box? Well, you know, I just grabbed something interesting today. Actually, I'm going to convert it into something more conceptually interesting when I get home, but this, this is a nice ride home for it. And what will you broadcast? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I think I'm going to start a little home broadcasting, and then I think I'm going to do some broadcasting in the building that I am, and I'm certainly interested in buying a lot more of these and uh, encouraging students to do a kind of, some kind of a conceptual radio project with them. My name is Marcus Robinson. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. And so you're busy building a transmitter here. And what do you? It's already built, but yeah, I'm, I'm right now. I'm in the process of mounting it into a glad container. <laughs> and that should do Highly very well. Highly technical process. Highly technical. And and what do you plan to do with your transmitter? I plan to transmit stuff. Like what? <laughs> Anything? Um, probably as much as I can to annoy my wife and. <laughs> Run her out of the house or whatever I can. Yeah. What about your neighbors? You think they'll be able to hear it? Um. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably hear it too. I'll make sure I have to sneak in and tune their radios to 97.7 and 
make sure they get some of my wonderful insight on the current events of the world. Oh, so you plan on you plan on getting on the air and speaking? My way, my way of sharing my intelligence with everyone. Yeah, I, I think everybody would benefit from it myself too. <laughs> hey, what do you think? Are you his wife? <laughs> no comment. Okay, so not everyone agrees with you apparently. Very few agree with me. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why I have to force feed them. So that was audio. So was a little bit of sound from the Radio 4x4 performance held as part of the Radio Access Democracy Conference at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design on September 29th and 30th. And interspersed were some interviews with people making actual transmitters and embedding them in various objects as part of the Radio Revolt workshop held there. Indeed, I did not know I was uh, going to speak at the end of that. <laughs> From 2004, it originally aired on the November 5th edition of the Media Geek radio show. And... Uh, Independent radio, unlicensed radio, um, micropower radio, which is so low-powered that it does not require a license by law. These are all topics I covered at length over the last seven years here at Media Geek. Uh, it's part of my enthusiasm for radio and my enthusiasm for it as a still lively medium that is uh, ready to be used for artistic purposes, for political purposes, for purposes of revolt, for purposes of protest and action, and sometimes for its own sake, um, as a medium which can be used in a mass sort of way, uh, very inexpensively, and, and in fact, arguably still less expensively than the Internet, if you add up how much you need to spend on uh, broadband Internet and computers to stay online for a year, um, you could actually buy a lot of transmitters for that amount of money and a lot of months of electricity. And so that's why I tried to cover these sorts of things throughout Media Geeks Run as we take a look back at some of my favorite segments and interviews of the last seven years here on the penultimate edition of Media Geek. My name is Paul Reese Bonnell, and I'm your host and producer. Media Geek is online at mediageek.net. The radio show is on radio.mediageek.net. So if you want to look back yourself and check out seven years' worth of archives, please feel free to do so, radio.mediageek.net. In the Twitter feed, which will stay live past the end of the program, as will the Media Geek blog, uh, twitter.com slash mediageek. Well, next up, uh, we're going to listen to an interview with filmmaker and documentarian Michael Leahy. He produced a film in 2004 called Making Waves, which is about the unlicensed pirate radio scene in the early 2000s in Tucson, Arizona. And for my money, it is probably the most compelling and interesting documentary about pirate radio. And there have been several over the years, uh, none that have, has really received broad distribution. Um, and it's really because Michael focuses in on, on the people and the stories behind the stations in as much as he focuses on the medium of radio. He was living in Minneapolis at the time. Uh, in 2004. So I was actually able to not only stay with him, but interview him uh, during my visit to the Radio Access Democracy Conference then. And we had a chance to talk about this really interesting film. 
Coming to a transmitter near you. Somewhere in the ballpark of, you know, 2,500 radio stations like this have cropped up all over the country. Our pirate radio in the house. New Filmmaking Waves is about um, some unlicensed radio operators in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about, about the stations that you focus on? Sure. Uh, there were three stations that were uh, operating unlicensed simultaneously um, in 2000, which is when I started this project. Uh, the main station that I focused on, uh, KRVL, was a station that um, was very much in the open, unlike a lot of the more clandestine pirate radio stations. Um, they were giving out where they were on the air. They had a huge sign in front of their uh, building that said, um, it was a quote from Thomas Jefferson, never trust your government, uh, tune into 94.3 FM. So uh, that was the main station that I focused on and I found them to be very interesting in the fact that they weren't hiding and that this was going to come to a head in some way, I felt. I didn't know how that was going to be. Either is the FCC going to come and shut them down? Um, are they going to get a big enough following that even if the FCC does come, it will be moved or maybe the community can take a hold? Or um, will they be unable to sustain it and implode? Those were kind of the three options with them. Um, through KRVL, I found that there was um, Another station that was open, that was operating in the open, and that was KOPC, which was also called Free Radio Tucson. And uh, they were another station that was in the open, but they weren't giving out their address of where they were at. Although, if you went by the house and saw the gigantic antenna coming out from it, um, it didn't look like your your normal uh, little rabbit ears or you know antenna going on there. And then the third station was Radio Limbo, which I had been listening to for several years. Um, and they operated in the, the, I guess, for lack of a better term, the typical clandestine type of um, hiding from the FCC, moving the transmitter from place to place. And uh, so one station led to the others, and um, I just started seeing what was going to happen with these guys. You're listening to Freedom Radio, 94.3 FM. You're listening to Free Radio Tucson, free speech for the Southwest. So why did you decide to make a documentary about them? Well, initially, uh, the term, I had never even heard the term low power radio before or micro radio. Um, I had heard only pirate radio and my initial uh, impetus for the documentary was Shane Eden who was a public access celebrity so to speak he had had a show running for 16 years um, that had originally started as kind of a variety show and had then uh, morphed into um, a what he would call a constitutional uh, patriot type of hour-long program and I had heard about him, had met him, um, thought he was an interesting character. He happens to look um, a lot like Santa Claus, so uh, he was interesting. I thought in front of the camera he would look uh, quite good, and he had taped all of his shows for 16 years, so I thought that maybe a compilation film would be interesting about him, 
But then he also was running this unlicensed radio station, which was KRVL that I mentioned earlier. And when he uh, told me about the station, um, he said, you should tune in. And I started listening to it. And it was unlike uh, just about any other station I had heard before. This was just before the 2000 election. And uh, although there was political uh, media that was being played, you know, almost the whole time on there, uh, none of it had to do with Bush or Gore. Um, and it was mostly talking about individual rights. It was talking about the Constitution. Um, it was talking about... Uh, issues of sovereignty and these were issues that I had heard very little of my whole life and I thought this is an interesting group and what would they be interested in uh, in an election year. After that I just kind of became more about uh, the micro radio movement. Right there. You're listening to 94.3 FM Your Rights Radio Without Licensing. The goal of this radio station is to help draw people out of poverty consciousness and into greater affluence, out of violence and into something more peaceful, out of injustice and into something more tolerant. The Arizona Constitution says the purpose of Arizona government is to protect and maintain individual rights. Do you know what your individual rights are? Keep listening. So the film is about the micro-radio movement, but it, it's really told through the story, especially of this one station, but and in the other stations in Tucson, right? Right. Yes, KRVL is kind of the main, they're kind of the test case. It, you, you get to see them from start to finish. Um, what was the inception? What were the, uh, the dynamic? Because they split with... Uh, Free Radio Tucson, and what were the issues that, that caused them to split, and then you get to see them try to recruit uh, the technical issues that they have to fight through, um, how they, are they building a following, and then ultimately what happens to the station. Um, oh, and in between there, of course, a visit from the FCC. So you get to see more of this station because they, they had kind of the full arc during the time that I was filming, which lasted about 10 months. Um, the other stations are used more as uh, supplemental um, stations to see some diversity because I try to contrast with Radio Limbo, which was the clandestine station, of how they operate, um, what they're, uh, they really were apolitical in a certain sense. I mean, the music that they played was clearly, I would say, had messages that were, you know, um, anti-corporate and that kind of thing, but overall I think that they were... Um, in stark contrast to the way that KRVO was operating. It, it, it certainly raises the issue during the course of the film of what's the better route. And, you know, by being out in the open, did that ultimately help KRVL or did it hurt them? Um, and with Limbo being hidden, did that ultimately extend their life? Right. And KRVL is not only out in the open, but they, you know, with this very sharp focus on individual rights and constitutional rights, I mean, they do so they're out in the open because they want to make that statement. Right, right. right. And I think one of the things that drew me to this is that um, not just this group, but this group in particular uh, lived largely in a world of abstraction before they took on the radio station. 
In other words, uh, they talk about that there's this huge disconnect between the original tenets of the Constitution and where our laws are today. Um, and what I thought was interesting is through two examples, one was through the radio station and the other was through Marshall Holm, one of the main characters. His, uh, he does not use a driver's license or a license plate on his car. And those two examples uh, provide the viewer with the way that they took their abstract views and actually put them out in the open. And one of the things I was curious about is how will this play out? In other words, will the public accept it? And Marshall even asked that question during the course of the film. Or will the public reject it you know, without giving the film away? I think that the internal factors proved surprisingly more uh, of an um, impedance than the external factors. You are listening to Freedom Radio 94.3 FM on your radio dial. This is constitutional, unlicensed radio. You don't need a license to talk to one another. Testing one, two, three. Check, test, test, test. All right. I think what sets uh, Making Waves apart from a lot of documentaries about issues like pirate radio or other similar movements is that it's character driven because you flesh out these folks like Shane, like Augie, and especially Marshall. Uh, why did you choose that approach? You know, in my documentary filmmaking, uh, I've always thought that the, the characters are what's going to make a story, that the issue can be an important one, and people make issue-driven documentaries. It's not really what I'm interested in. Uh, I'm much more influenced by people like Studs Terkel and people like that that take quote-unquote everyday people and show the either the heroicism or, or tragic sides of them and um, so it started with the characters and as I said earlier I knew nothing about low-power radio at the time I knew that radio had reached a deplorable state in the last in the years leading up to me starting the film but I didn't know the reasons why I didn't know about the telecom act in 96 I didn't know I just started to hear about clear channel now that's an everyday thing but in 2000 you know I didn't know about it I didn't know about infinity broadcasting I didn't know about a lot of these uh, big issues of the reason you know there were reasons why radio had reached such a sorry state and it wasn't just because programmers were you know somehow losing their taste so as I found out about that and learned more and more about it, uh, I felt like there was no way I could tell their story um, of these unlicensed uh, pirates without also telling the larger picture of the low power movement. I soon found I was over my head in, in a lot of ways because it's such a complicated thing. Certainly had I known about all the complexities before then, I don't know if I would have even done this documentary, but I was already in it and I felt like this had to be told in order to hopefully get some people involved in a story that they, that if it was just a technical story and if it was just about low power, they might not get into it. But because it's these characters who I found very interesting and not typical uh, of other stories that I had seen that you could combine the issue and the characters. And that was Michael Leahy, filmmaker behind the pirate radio documentary Making Waves that originally broadcast on the Media Geek radio show November the 12th, 2004. Making Waves, as far as I know, is still available there at Jump Cut Films dot com where you can obtain a uh, DVD copy if you're so inclined. 
That brings to a close the penultimate edition of Media Geek. One last time, and we'll be back in one more week with more news and views in our media environment and a look back at the last seven years, maybe even the last decade in the media ecology. My guest will be John Anderson of DIYmedia.net live in the studio to uh, help me put on our hindsight glasses and uh, run it over backwards and forwards of course media geek is online at mediageek.net radio show is at radio.mediageek.net the twitter feed is at twitter.com slash mediageek any last comments please send them to me paul at mediageek.net and thank you so much to the affiliate stations that have helped support media geek over the years like kwmd in Kasilov, Anchorage, Alaska, WBCR in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, WRFA in Jamestown, New York, and KRBS in Oroville, California. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>